Hey, it's Luke. Did you miss us? I missed us. And I missed you. All of you. We let everybody know back in November what a bunch of y'all had already figured out since we hadn't posted a new episode since the summer. But as we started leaning heavily into original reporting, accountability, journalism, and investigations, it became obvious that something had to give. We just couldn't do it all with the small team that we have. And that something was the podcast. At the same time, we promised the podcast would return in 2023, and it will, just not right now. We're going to bring it back in a regular way. We just need a little more time to figure out how to do this thing sustainably. In the meantime, though, we have this very special episode recorded live at the Central Library downtown on Maine, talking about a pretty important subject that is maybe a little bit under the radar right now, but shouldn't be because... We just had a big midterm election. We're about to have a mayor's race and a city council election in 2023. And then it's the presidential race again in, in 2024. And oh my God, there's an election every year. Don't they ever stop? No. Should we at least talk about how to potentially make them better? We think so. So that's what we're doing here. Talking about one of those potential reforms to our current election system. Ranked choice voting. Three states currently elect representatives based on ranked choice voting, one of which is Alaska. Ranked choice voting is probably the reason Sarah Palin is not in the Congress currently, and we get to why that is in the episode. Voters recently approved ranked choice voting in Seattle City and rejected it in two other Washington state counties. We talk about that as well. But beyond that, it's not even widely known what it is. So let's just start there. In our current voting system, as you know, you get to place one vote for one person in any given election. Your only alternative to voting for one person is to vote for no one, to leave the space blank. In ranked choice voting, as we'll hear explained in detail, you get to pick several candidates in order from the person you like the most to the person you like the least. And if you loathe someone so much you can't stomach to vote for them at all, you just don't have to vote for them. So say there's a five-person race, you could just vote for your absolute favorite person. If nobody else even comes close, you could vote for your top three, you could vote for your top five. And then when the votes get counted, your top choice gets your vote. And if that person is still in the running after the first round of counting, if they can still mathematically win, they stay in. But if your top choice for a candidate was the person with the least votes, or a candidate who is mathematically incapable of winning... There's a couple different ways to do it. Election officials then recalculate your vote and everyone else who voted for that losing candidate with your second choice. So if you have an absolute favorite who's like a dark horse, but everything they talk about speaks to your soul, you can vote for them without fear of that vote being wasted, as we hear talked about so much, especially at the presidential level uh, and in national politics. In the interview, we talk about a lot of the different permutations and what this can mean. And I don't want to step on that conversation at all, but I do just want to underscore this one thing. A lot of people talk about how much they hate the two-party system. Conservatives say this. Progressives say this. Moderates say this. I actually don't know many people who really love the two-party system enough to like wear, you know, pro-two-party system swag. <laughs> and I'm not even talking like leftists or fascists or radical centrists. I'm talking about rank-and-file Republicans and Democrats and actually people who often call themselves independents or moderates say, I don't like any of these choices that are presented to me. And within parties, as we see literally every presidential cycle with the way horse race political coverage cares more about whether a person is quote-unquote electable than about whether their policies are any good or if they would help anybody, it sucks at that level and makes our presidential races extremely stupid and divorced from any sort of a discourse that might help us understand what voters actually need and want. 
and it's been that way for a really long time. But this discourse is also starting to creep in locally. In November, we just had an incredible example in our most recent county prosecutor's race when two Republicans, one kind of moderate, pretty moderate, one not so moderate, but still less extreme than the incumbent, and Deb Conklin, a progressive who ran as an independent, all went up against that far-right incumbent prosecutor, Larry Haskell. Because the Democrat had never been able to unseat Haskell, many Democratic thought leaders and strategists came up with this idea of voting for one of the more moderate Republicans, Stephanie Olson or Stephanie Collins, and taking a lesser of two evils approach, thinking that if they lumped all of their votes in with the other moderate Republicans, then they could unseat Haskell. They would be part of a coalition, an informal coalition to unseat Haskell. But Conklin and Haskell won the primary pretty easily, even though Conklin wasn't technically running as a Democrat, she ran as an independent. And then rather than saying, well, I guess that moderate Republican strategy was bad, lots of people got extremely angry at Conklin for having the gall to even run for the position as an independent. Now think about how many times we've heard, you know, people say, and you learn as a kid in school that like, Serving your country is a good thing or serving your community is a good thing. Being a civil servant is a good thing. But because of the perverse incentives of our voting system, this person who decided to run because she thought she had the actual best answers for this position, this person was treated with contempt. And to be clear, the people that were mad, at least the people that I saw, weren't mad at her policies. And I know some of these people. In fact, I bet if we took a blind position poll where people just said what they thought a prosecutor's positions should be on any given topic, and then we compared them against the actual candidate's platforms, many of those extremely angry people, and probably a majority, I think, would have come closer to Conklin's platform than the other candidates. They weren't mad at her policies. They were mad that she disrupted the strategy, let's get Democrats to vote for a moderate Republican. And look, politics is all about strategy, but doesn't it seem a little broken to have a system where you get mad at the person who is closest to you ideologically because the way the election system works, you've decided that you have to take a lesser of two evils approach rather than just voting your conscience? So all partisan topics aside, that's why this feels like such an important topic to us at range. And just as a person, <laughs> myself personally, who longs to live in a society that at least strives, that at least fights for, regardless of how imperfect the system ends up being and how imperfect people are, because let's face it, every person is deeply imperfect and, and politicians on average are more imperfect than most, in my opinion. To operate in such a way that people's truest voices are heard and our best intentions are given weight and power in the system, that feels like what we should be shooting for. But the way we currently vote is very much at odds with all of that. Like I've already said, ad nauseum, it's been that way at the national level my entire life, and now we're seeing it creep into our local politics as well, and that really troubles me. If you hear yourself saying, I like this person, but they can't win, so I won't vote for them, then almost by definition, our system of voting is not working for you if the point of voting is to have your opinion heard. People who study ranked choice voting elsewhere believe that it leads to more pluralistic elections. There's room for more parties and more political viewpoints when you can rank your favorites rather than voting for just one person. And even if the two parties stick around for a while, the immediate benefit of ranked choice voting is that you still get to have a vote be a truer and more nuanced representation of your opinion about a race. 
just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you agree with all Democrats. And just because you're a Republican doesn't mean you're gung-ho about Trump or gung-ho about Carly Fiorina. You could like either one of those people more. And so with ranked choice voting, you wouldn't have to make only one choice. You could vote for both Fiorina and Trump in whatever order you felt most strongly about. And then that would yield a more true and nuanced representation of your opinion about a race. And if you got the opportunity to do that in every race, wouldn't that be a more nuanced representation of how you think the city, the county, the state, the nation ought to be run? And if everybody got a chance to do that, wouldn't that then be a fuller, a truer and more nuanced representation about how all of us thought our cities, our counties, our state, our nations should run? Feels that way to me. It's a fascinating discussion, and I don't want to spend another second yapping because we're already hitting the unedited 12-minute mark here. I'll cut it down. But without further ado, our very special episode, first time live, talking about ranked choice voting, coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Um, I'm going to start by reading our uh, land acknowledgement. We are on the traditional homelands of the four bands of the Spokane Tribe of Indians, Upper Band, Middle Band, Lower Band, Chewila Band. Since time immemorial, the Spokane Tribe of Indians has lived and cared for these grounds, identifying themselves as flesh of the earth. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We show gratitude to the land, river, and peoples who have been fishing, hunting, harvesting, and gathering here for generations. May we learn from one another's stories so that we may nurture the relationship of the people of the Spokane tribe and to all those who share this land. Welcome, and thanks for coming out for this event. Uh, we're thrilled to have Luke here from Range Media, as well as Trenton from Fair Vote Washington and Marilyn from the League of Women Voters, though not necessarily representing their official views. My name is Shane. I'm the current affairs specialist here at Spokane Public Library. We want this to be a place where people can come to learn, to share, to hear new perspectives, to have interesting discussions. So if that sounds like you and you want to be a part of that, if you have something to share or teach the community, get in touch and we'll see what kind of programming we can get you involved in here. With that, I will turn it over to Luke. Thanks, Shane. Like Shane said, thanks for coming tonight and choosing us over the Gonzaga basketball game. And also no spoilers because I'm recording it for when I get home. This is Range's first time recording a podcast with a live studio audience, so we're pretty excited about it. We're excited for you to all be a part of it. If you have fun and you want to tell your friends about it who aren't here, we'll, it'll be posted soon-ish, so you should follow us on social media, sign up for the mailing list, stuff at the back, and we also have QR codes and stuff, so you can just find our website really easily. If this is a disaster, we don't have to ever speak of it again. <laughs> One of the things we do at Range to connect with our community is go to bars and coffee shops every once in a while and as a team and just hang out. And the idea for this event actually came from a Saturday afternoon of beers where Trenton and Shane actually showed up and we were talking about the idea of a live event and, and maybe it was just a sample set of three, but we're like, obviously it should be ranked choice voting. That's the most 
compelling thing we could possibly do for an inaugural event. But really, you know, we just got done with this election that went differently than a lot of people thought it would. It's a, it's a midterm, which has this whole sort of cultural resonance, for better or worse. And then a lot of conventional wisdom around what that means for parties in control and for, for parties in opposition. And it actually does feel like a really good time to be talking about this because we get to think about the future and what horizons we might have as opposed to just what feels like such often an entrenched and immutable two-party system that nobody seems particularly happy with. Even if you have a side you really, really love rooting for, everybody seems to feel like, yeah, this is, yeah there are parts of this that just aren't going great. And so anyways, from those humble beginnings uh, at the Grain Shed, we're excited to see it happen. Again, thanks to Shane and the, the Public Library for opening their doors for this event. And just in general, man, I loved the old library, but the changes y'all have made here is, is really, really special. And so if you're listening at home, once this is actually taped and edited, like if you haven't seen the Central Library downtown, please come check it out. So without further ado, We've already kind of welcomed them, but Trenton from Fair Vote Washington and Marilyn, who is a uh, active League of Women Voters members, but not representing them officially tonight. And we're going to hopefully tell you everything you need to know or everything you ever wanted to know about ranked choice voting, but we're afraid to ask. So yeah, let's just get started, but don't get too comfortable because we're going to do this voting exercise in a second to literally demonstrate how it works. But we wanted to level set first. So what is ranked choice voting? How does it work? And where is it currently being used? Trenton, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So again, like everybody said it, but thank you all for coming out. I re represent Fair Vote Washington, which is a statewide organization that's advocating for ranked choice voting. And ranked choice voting is a simple improvement to the way that we vote, where instead of being limited to choosing just one option when you cast your vote, you instead rank your options. You say, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, and my third choice, and so on. And really what that does is it allows more candidates, candidates who are not part of the establishment group to run without being spoilers of that election. So it creates a broader group of candidates and who can be more representative. I just wanted to say too that my, my connection with the League, yes I'm a member of the League of Women Voters and one of the things the League is well known for and respected for is doing deep research and study. So when I got hooked up with Trenton about four years ago with this fair vote, Washington and trying to get the local options bill passed, I was thrilled to find that in 2000, the League of Women Voters had actually determined that ranked choice voting was a more representative elections method. Not the one and only, but a more representative elections method. And, and I'm all for it because it does, it does break the duopoly of the two parties and it certainly gives opportunity for those who are other than those two to, to, to run and, and actually get elected. So there are three states now, uh, Nevada just passed it, and Alaska and Maine who do all their elections statewide. So that's cool. Sounds like 6% of our states. Everybody gets to make their own decision about whether they think this is a good idea or not, but if you are one of those people who really loves hating Ralph Nader, 
or say like the the libertarian candidate. If you like hating spoilers, you're not going to like ranked choice voting. But let's get to the the vote, shall we? Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little election, and in honor of Thanksgiving next week, we're going to vote on our favorite pies. So you should all have a ballot. If you didn't get a chance to grab a ballot, now's the time to do so. There are two tables in the back with ballots and pens, um, so go ahead and grab those. But your candidates for this evening are pecan pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie, and lemon meringue pie. So go ahead and fill out your ballot, just your first choice, second choice, third, and fourth. We'll kind of wait a minute to give people time to do that, and then we'll we'll kind of move around the room as we decide a winner. Is it okay to not, if you find one of these pies so repulsive you don't want to vote for them at all, can we, you leave those blank? Absolutely. You are not required to fill out your ballot all the way. Um, if you wanted to, you could just pick one, or you could fill out all four. Just going to go ahead and insert a little voting music here. Just show of hands if you're done. Maybe show your show of hands if you're not done. Sorry, I should have thought that through. <laughs> okay, cool. It looks like we're all done. Okay. So what we will now do then is if I could get, if your first choice is pecan pie, go ahead and stand by that column. If your first choice is apple pie, go ahead and stand kind of right here, we'll say. If your first choice is pumpkin pie, go ahead and stand here. If your first choice is uh, lemon meringue, go and hang out by that column. And my write-in candidate, if, if you have a first choice write-in, go ahead and stand in the back. <laughs> if you have. OK. Did, did the write-in chicken out? Is that? Oh, no. That's, so that's lemon meringue, right? OK. So we have no write-in candidate? OK. So. In order to win ranked choice voting, you need 50% plus one vote. You need the majority. So one thing I tried to do beforehand, and I'm going to have to do it again, is I have to count how many people we have in this election. So real quick, I'm going to go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. And this is actually exactly how they do it in Spokane County, too. So 27, which means to have majority, we need 14, if my math is right. So let's see. I don't think we have 14 in any group, right? Doesn't look like it. So what would now we do is we eliminate the candidate with the least amount of votes. Lemon Meringue is no longer in this race. Sorry, Lemon Meringue. So whoever your second choice is, go join them. So come to the pecan group, pecan, apple, pumpkin. And now a little vote shuffling music. Okay. We still no longer have a majority, but apple pie is not going to win this race. So everybody who is in the apple pie, go join your next choice. If your next choice was lemon meringue, then go join the next group. Your third choice, yes. Uh-oh. All right. This is going to be a tight race. So 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Pumpkin pie is our winner. Wow. And finally, a little everybody gets back to their seat music. Congratulations to you all. You just performed a ranked choice voting election, and pumpkin pie won. As a person who had pumpkin pie as my second choice, I feel seen, you know. So I think the value out of that is if we had just taken the winner as we do now, which is whoever has the most votes in the first round, I think pecan might have won because it was, it was at least very close. And everybody who really liked Apple, because there was a big group of them, you all got to have your voice heard in that election. Your opinion mattered because the majority of our Apple Pie fans preferred pumpkin. And so you got to express that will. And I believe, if I had counted right, you actually changed the outcome of the election with your second or your third choice. So we should say that this is a single winner ranked choice voting race, and that's kind of the easiest and the most straightforward. There's also multiple winner ranked choice voting. It's pretty interesting, a little more complicated. We're, we're going to save that for like the end if we have time or you know if the, the Q&A gets stale. So if you guys don't have any questions, that's fine. We will switch into multi-choice ranked voting. But we wanted to get a sense of the real mechanics and, and how represented people feel in a ranked choice voting situation. You know, so if it's like we maybe we could have guessed that like if the two parties in the pie system, the dominant parties were pecan. And one of the things that, that undercuts the whole spoiler thing is you get a real sense with your first vote without sort of throwing it away to be like, oh, how much how much support does Lemon Meringue actually have? Sorry, Stephen, not that much, but we at least got to. You know, so in one sense, it also kind of gives us a more accurate view of, you know, what how people actually feel if they were given the choice and if it weren't, you know, one vote or nothing. So a little graphic here that I can show just to better explain the spoiler a little bit more. Here's a really simple election that could be a a typical top two where you've got milk chocolate versus candy corn. Milk chocolate's pretty dominant and this is works fine when there's only two candidates but you know we want more people to be able to run and to compete and so what happens if dark chocolate decides to enter the race? Dark chocolate shares a lot of similarities with milk chocolate, there's a lot of people who like them both, and so much of the vote for dark chocolate might come from milk chocolate. And in a single, where we just pick whoever gets the most amount of votes, you might end up with candy corn winning in this, which is preposterous. Uh, (laughs) So this is the kind of the core of the problem with the current way that we vote and that ranked choice voting strives to solve. To me, it's the fact that you can vote in your ranked choice order, and that means that you're more likely to vote for a candidate who's like your first choice, right? You're, it's the type of candidate, not the letters behind the candidate's name or that follow the candidate's name. So you're looking probably at uh, candidates who might have similar values. And so to me, that proves that ranked choice voting actually turns elections more issues focused 
and uh, creates a better, more civil dialogue because it's not just about parties going against each other. It's about the issues and the solutions and problem solving. And that's what I really like about ranked choice voting. The whole electability conversation that happens with every single primary where it's like, oh, this this person might be amazing. We're, you know, let's let's talk about those like conservative candidates who don't have major party backing or libertarian candidates. Think about like even the Elizabeth Warren thing, like she can win if you vote for her was the whole thing. Like the whole question of electability was basically drives the entire primary season. And this sort of, again, so in this case, it would be actually really, I kind of prefer dark chocolate. I think I want some sort of chocolate. So I might feel like I have to vote for milk chocolate because milk chocolate's electable. Like that's that's the, the fascinating thing for me as a guy who actually spends a lot of time thinking about like what do people actually think and feel uh, about these candidates whether it's a better voting system or not i actually just kind of want to know like how people actually feel if they would vote for gary johnson or bernie sanders given their druthers you know in our pre-show marilyn you said ranked choice voting might break the two-party stranglehold can you walk us through that we've already talked about it a little bit but maybe just in more concrete terms well so like let's use washington state with our presidential primary you have to declare your party to vote, to cast a vote in our primary. And when almost 40% of American voters identify as independent, if you don't claim one of the two parties, you're cut out of being able to advance forward to the general election, your candidate of choice. And so ranked choice voting eliminates that. And the other thing is, you know, because there are so many independents, you know, this process opens the door for other than the two-party candidates. And so they can run really on the issues and what they would want to do based on, you know, what they listen to the voters and find out what their constituents would want to have happen. So to me, that's a win-win for everybody. And what's the evidence that'll help elect more women or more people of color or people just from more marginalized backgrounds? New York City. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit about some of the places that have adopted ranked choice voting as of lately, but New York City voted to adopt it in 2019, and they held their first ever elections using ranked choice voting city elections in 2021. And before 2021, they had had no more than, I want to say, 18 women hold office, or sorry, maybe 25 hold office of the city council. After using ranked choice voting, they had a record-breaking 31 women hold office, and 25 of them are, are women of color. And it, so just kind of just proving out as an, as an example point here of when you have a system that doesn't discourage people from running if they're not seen as part of the establishment, if they're not seen as electable. You have a system that says, yeah, go ahead, run. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, that's not a big deal because we're not a spoiler. Suddenly, you get more people running and winning. Um, and, And New York City, I think, is one of the best examples of that. And so that's literally sort of shifting people's perception about who is electable. I hear advocates say it like encourages candidates to look beyond their base and maybe go after those independent voters or at least a broader range of voters. Can you talk me through why that is? Like, what is it about this system as opposed to what we have now that 
if you want to be successful or or strategically it's optimal to to try to speak to a broader range of potential voters? Well, like maybe if we'd had a chance to caucus with some of those that um, were apples, that most of whom went to Pumpkin, if we'd had a chance to do a little campaigning with them, we could have maybe drawn them over to Pecan, right? And so that's why we stay focused more on things like flavor, texture, um, you know, whatever the elements are of what the candidate is um, putting out there. And so, you know, here again, it keeps it more focused on the issues. And, you know, rather than going as a steep or stiff competitor against someone whose, whose values and platform are very similar to yours, you can actually, you know, just say, you know, if it get, comes down to it, you know, and if, if you decide for whatever reason you're not going to give me your vote, this, this person's... Yeah, can you talk option. about places where, or situations where that happens, where it's like, hey, vote for me or Marilyn? Yeah, I, there, there are a few places where I think the main governor uh, race in, I want to say, 2020 or 2019, you had candidates who were very friendly, and they actually did an ad together, and they were both some fun thing, like, vote for me first, and this person second, the other person was like, no, vote for me first, and the other person second. The example I like to give is, if you're in, in our current system, where everybody only has one vote, and you're walking along, and you, you're knocking on doors, and you see someone who has the sign up of your opponent, you're just gonna keep walking because they've already made up their mind. The amount of effort you would have to spend to get them to take down that sign and vote for you is not worth your time. And so that's their voter, whatever. In ranked choice voting, you go knock on that door and you say, hey, I, I, I see you like this person. You're probably gonna cast your first vote for them. Why don't you make me your second choice and I will tell you what I agree with this candidate, where we agree, and the things that we share in common. So it does bridge that gap a little bit. It makes the elections less aggressive and less um, negative because so often they are spending more time trying to draw comparisons rather than trying to tear the other person down and convince people not to vote for that one. Yeah, so it sort of takes what's an inherently zero-sum situation and makes it oh wow there's there's this whole range of possibilities that can open up and it incentivizes you to have conversations with people that you might have just literally walked past if you're knocking a door or something there's also a fiscal case to be made for ranked choice voting can you walk us through how it you know generally speaking would compare to doing a primary and then a general or multiple ballots how it would save money this this is great timing for this conversation because we're watching in Georgia right now that they have this election and neither candidate got more than 50% of the vote. And so they're doing a runoff. And what that means in Georgia is that a month from now, they're gonna have to have millions of people come into this office and pay election workers and pay administrators to hold an entirely brand new election because nobody got 50% of the vote. 50% plus one. Ranked choice voting also requires 50% plus one, but you just write on your ballot your second choice. And so Georgia, if their first time that they did this election had just had people pick their second choice, they could have saved the millions of dollars that are gonna be spent on that runoff 
in December. And ironically, the, the guy who ran as the libertarian and was the kind of spoiler in that race that prevented people from getting 50% plus one is an advocate for ranked choice voting and says, you should, you should adopt this so that this is no longer a problem. Yeah, I mean, Warnock is within like half a percent of 50, so, and that guy only got 2% of the vote, so they're going to have to do an other election just to sort of figure out where that other, basically where, you know, a half percent goes. And then Warnock, this is his second runoff. He's only been in the Senate for like two years, and he's, in order to return again, he's going to have to have won four separate elections, which is wild to me. So they, they could really just save themselves a ton of money by casting ballots where they pick first choice, second choice, third choice, et cetera. And my understanding from Vicki Dalton uh, is that with other presentations she's done, it would not be very expensive at all for Spokane County to make that um, switch to ranked choice voting. They, the software investment would be negligible and um, it would save a lot of money in the long run and the short run, so. Yeah, and if the primary only has four people in it, five people, if you have a ranked choice voting of top five, and the primary only has four people, then you don't really need a primary anymore. You, just, you can just hold it as a, as a general election because everybody can run in the general. You don't have to narrow the field, which is the point of the primary. And so if you're fortunate enough to have a places where uh, you don't have to hold a primary election because everything can just be handled in the general election, then that can save uh, a lot of money as well. Well, and like in 2020, the Democrats had, what, 18 or 20-some candidates going into the primary, right? But by the time people got their ballots here for the primary, a good handful of those Democratic candidates had dropped out of the race. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you had already submitted your ballot before your candidate had dropped out, you're, well, there goes your there goes your vote. There was no other opportunity for you to rank choice by preference of order. So... That's a good question to drill down a little bit. So in a situation, if we, there were a big primary where there's 20 or 30 candidates the, the way there was, you wouldn't rank those candidates necessarily 1 to 20. You'd do like, what, top 5 or top 10 or something? Yeah, usually top 5, I think, is a pretty standard. Alaska uses top 4. Nevada just adopted it. They're going to use a top 5. I really did my best to find like hard hitting questions to like push back against ranked choice. Maybe you guys can give me some in the in the Q and A session. But one thing I did notice about Alaska, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, to be honest, because I don't know if I like how much time I spend range. We don't want to do a lot of horse race coverage because that's like that's not the way we want to cover politics. But I'll be damned if I don't sit like a CNN or MSNBC or even, you know, NBC, just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to wait five minutes and there's going to be another 2% in one weird county in Ohio or whatever. And what I've noticed is, though, that like where they're doing ranked choice in Alaska, the vote both for senator and for the at-large bid for Congress, where, where it looks like a Democrat has a decent chance of beating Sarah Palin and a couple other Republicans, that hasn't moved in a couple days. Because there basically seems like they're still counting ballots from the first round, so they're obviously not going to proceed to the next for a while. So to you, is ranked choice going to mean election results will be a little slower to come in? Or is that just something either specific to the laws in Alaska or that specific race? Or do we know? It, it could be a little bit slower because they hold the runoff, which is that is the, the primary difference. The way Alaska does it is that they don't do the runoff 
until every ballot is in. So they are waiting for all mail-in ballots to come in. So if we had a similar law in Washington, they would be withholding it as well until everything is in. And then, and I think Maine is actually doing it tonight for their District 2 house where, okay, we've got all of them. All right, now let's do the runoff. And so a lot of it is really just the mail-in voting aspect of it because they're waiting for every vote to be cast. If it was a place where every vote was cast electronically that night, the, the runoff aspect of it, if you're using voting machines, which they mostly all do, it takes maybe an hour, if that. I don't even know if it takes that long, but it's very quick. They just wait until all the, the ballots get there. Right, and so in a state, I mean, Alaska is a massive state, and big parts of the state are only accessible by plane and stuff. Okay, so let's talk pro political horizons. At this point, we had an exuberant audience member, not on microphone, ask a question about what the fundamental difference between what we do now and what they do in Alaska is, and, and Trenton did his best to explain that. Alaskan, and we do the same in Washington here. We have an open primary, which means you don't vote in a party primary. Um, you can declare a party, but it doesn't matter the primary. It's just which candidates have the most. So Washington does top two. So in the primary, whoever gets the top two, they go on to the general, and it is just a matchup between the two, the two candidates that you mentioned. Um, in Alaska, they do top four, which means you can have a Democrat and two Republicans, or two Democrats, two Republicans, or a Libertarian or a Green Party person in there. This was the special election in Alaska where they had in the top four one Democrat, two Republicans, and I want to say an independent candidate. And the, the initial results, nobody got 50% of the vote. And so they took the candidate with the least amount of votes, who was Nick Begich in that example. And everybody who voted for him, I would say was about two-thirds preferred Sarah Palin, but enough preferred the Democrat in that race to kind of push it over. And so that is the runoff portion, is where they start eliminating candidates with the least amount of vote until they find someone with 50% plus one. And, and my understanding, too, is that um, in, in case you're thinking, Carolyn, in terms of, you know, like how much time this takes, it's, it's all done, you know, by computer allocations with algorithms that they've got set up in their software. So it's not like you have to do multiple <laughs> processes with ballots uh, going through the mail and all of that. It's all just done automatically with the tabulations. It's one ballot. Yeah, you just, one ballot. Yeah. Yeah. You just write yeah. it on your ballot. And, and theoretically, you could basically either get rid of the general or get rid of the primary. If you wanted to just do one ballot, you could do a ranked choice single ballot, and that could be the end of it. Is that correct? Yeah, you could. Uh, most places like to have a winnowing primary. So if you have a place that's got like 20 candidates, then like Alaska likes to narrow it to four and then let them run again, Nevada will be doing top five. So that's, that's how most places generally do it. But theoretically, you don't have to. Yeah, because one of my th things is, is when I think of the legs of the table for, for helping to improve our democratic processes, ideally, I would love to see a much shortened election cycle <laughs> so that people are not, I mean, here we are a week after, and we're already getting all of the punditry going for 2024. And I, I really think that if we 
use this as a method and then also shorten the election cycle, we would actually get more eligible voters to participate and vote. And, that, and that's, that's something I would love to see happen. And yeah, it, it may knock some people out of their jobs as um, talking heads, but <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing for our democracy. <laughs> so I don't think I realized what, what you were saying about Maine is I, I think I would have been a lot more productive the, this last week if I would have just known that, okay, we're counting tonight, and if nobody hits 50 in 10 days or something, we're going we're gonna to tabulate the runoff. Well, they're still counting first place oh. votes. Yeah. yeah. So they, the first place votes are still changing. And if someone were to get above 50%, then that's declared. They don't even do the runoff. So the Maine has two districts, and one of them is going to go into a runoff, and one of them is already decided because the candidate got like 61% of the vote in the first round. Yeah, and another thing to mention about Alaska um, is one of the big, it felt like a kind of a dumb national narrative to me when when Peltola won was like, oh, it's ranked choice voting is the only reason a Democrat could actually win in Alaska. But if you look at, so that's the at-large race, which is like statewide, which is just the way they do it there for that, that congressional seat. Lisa Murkowski, who's the longtime sort of moderate Republican senator, basically being voted on by the same group of people, that race is like Lisa and Murkowski, and then I think a more conservative Republican are neck and neck with like almost 90% of the total vote. So that means that between the Senate race and the House race, there were a bunch of people who voted a split ticket of voting Republican for Senator and voting probably just anybody but Sarah Palin for the other one, or you know, the Democrat in that case, because there were two Republicans and a Democrat. So that's just an interesting counterpoint to that narrative we heard when during the first Paltola race that it's like, oh, this just made an unviable Democratic candidate in Alaska viable because it's this weird voting method. Here we had another audience member asking a clarifying question about, uh, we really should have had an audience mic just hovering somewhere to capture this a little bit better. Um, people were just so excited to learn about ranking choice voting. But the question was, if I understood it correctly, when certain candidates would get eliminated and whether more than one candidate would get eliminated per round. So this woman asked a question, if candidate B was her choice, when would her vote get redistributed? Not until B gets eliminated. So you're, you only go to your second choice once your first choice gets eliminated. Because your candidate is still in the race. So your, your first choice is still in the race. On the point of the, the Alaska, Lisa Murkowski, Mary Peltola, it's kind of interesting because those two candidates endorsed each other, the Democrat for the House and this moderate Republican for the Senate, because it's seen as ranked choice voting is allowing them to be a little bit more broad in the way that they work across the aisle with each other and, and support each other. It allows a moderate Republican to, yeah, to reach across the aisle to a Democrat if that makes political sense for them in that race. All right, so we wanted to talk to about political horizons for a second. Like, can this actually happen here? What would it take? What's currently preventing us well, we need to get um, the local options bill passed in our through our state legislature. Can you explain what that is? The local options would allow cities, municipalities to adopt this as their elections, preferred elections method. Well, not this. There would be they could adopt any any type of model, but we have we have to get that approval from the state legislature so right now, to be able like to do that. There's like a state mandate for the type of voting we do. 
Yeah, our state says that we have to use the top two primary system. Is That's the problem that we're dealing with, is they say you have to use top two in the primary. And so the local options bill would relax that and say you could use other things as part of the primary general combination. And so that has been a, a big effort in order to get that passed because ideally we want to use ranked choice voting in the general. Now, there are places this year in Washington that voted on using ranked choice voting, but that would only be in the primary. It would be used to determine who the top two candidates are, and then they do the runoff. The standard general election. If we wanted to get enough signatures, and maybe some of you want to help gather signatures, we could do a Spokane County or a Spokane City campaign to use ranked choice voting in the primary here in Spokane. Well, and didn't the city council vote a couple of years ago to endorse that if, if the law were changed? The city council took a public stance in support of the local options bill. They said we would like the option to adopt ranked choice voting if we choose, because right now they don't, they, they can't. They're still forced to use the, the top two system. Sorry. And then what's the presidential primaries? Yeah, so this is actually gonna be one of the focuses of Fair Vote Washington this year because 2024 is on the horizon and if it passes this year, it could be used for the 2024 primary. Marilyn mentioned in 2020, you had 18 candidates. Most of them dropped out by the time ballots were being counted. In fact, 25% of people in Washington who voted in that race in the Democratic primary voted for a candidate who had dropped out by the time the ballots were counted. There was significant loss, um, and so the presidential primaries would just mean you get to rank your options. So if your candidate drops out, or if they're not viable in the same system that if they're not like top two, or they would get eliminated until we have a winner. And would that still be a partisan primary, or would it just be sort of everybody together? It would still be a partisan primary. So you just use ranked choice voting in the Democratic or Republican primary. Absent those state legislative fixes, it was still on the ballot in three different places in Washington, the city of Seattle, San Juan County, Clark County. How, how did that go? Uh, Clark County and San Juan County decided they were not ready for ranked choice voting or they didn't support it. So both uh, initiatives lost about 45 to 55. It does look like Seattle is going to vote to adopt ranked choice voting with about 50.5% to 49.5. And it's been very nervous because on election night it was about 49 to 51 with them losing. And late ballots have, have changed that. Well, and it's interesting because I think San Juan County is, is basically the, the islands of Puget Sound and some other spots. That's a very progressive county. Clark County is Vancouver, right? And which is a, of the larger population counties, it's probably the most conservative big population county. And so it's, it's not necessarily a partisan thing. It's more of a comfort level thing. Or a, I, th I found that interesting. So the other thing about that was interesting about the Seattle race is that they were actually voting on two things. They were saying, hey, should we change our voting system at all? And that's the 50.5%. It looks like people are saying, yeah. But they actually had to choose between ranked choice voting and something called approval voting. 
and I think the people that were pushing for approval voting were trying to say, hey, approval voting is basically just as good as ranked choice voting. So can we talk about the differences between the two? Marilyn, maybe Marilyn, you can run us through that, and then we'll, we'll talk about how that went down, that head-to-head. I don't, I don't understand it that well, but I might, what, I, what I sense is it's kind of like a, a blast, right? You just can vote for as few or as many candidates at you, as you want, but it dilutes right. um, your vote. It's basically, it's like rather than ranking them, you just pecan pie is acceptable, apple pie is acceptable, whatever. So then how does that get tabulated? It's whoever gets the most votes. Uh, is the winner. So it's not a percentage thing, it's like a raw number thing? It's a raw number thing, and you might have a candidate with 70% of the vote and 52% of the vote, so the, the one scenario of approval voting would get you there. Um, you would get to over 110%, yeah. Yeah, it, and the ballot, it's, the ballot would look very similar to the ballots we get now. You just fill them in, who, whoever you approve of would, would get your vote. In a head-to-head ranked choice voting versus approval voting, how did that go? Ranked choice voting won that race pretty handily, 75% to 25%. There's a number of reasons why, and some of them are my own opinion, and some of them are more broad. I would just say I think ranked choice voting has a lot more national momentum. It has a lot more name recognition. There are now three states that are in support of using ranked choice voting, and I think almost 50 cities that are using ranked choice voting. I think there are two cities in the nation that are using approval voting at this time. And so name recognition and, uh, and understanding, I think, is, is a big part of it. And then you can get into the minutia about which one is, is better in practice. I don't, I don't know if we want to go that. No, it, it's just interesting to me that, yeah, I just wanted to, to cover it because if people had heard about it but didn't really know what, what approval voting was. I, I will say, sorry, I don't think you can get any worse than the, the current way that we're voting. And so I am supportive of most voter reform, and I do think approval voting is better than what we're currently doing. I just think that ranked choice voting is easier to understand, being able to, to rank your options, and just has a lot more momentum behind it and a lot more opportunity to make change now, and I do think we're on a, a timeline here for, <laughs> for things. Yeah. For the first time in the history of the Range podcast, we are ahead of schedule by almost 15 minutes, which is awesome. So we're going to go to Q&A in a second. I did want to say, though, back to the exercise we did earlier, did that remind anybody in this room of anything? Have you like, maybe done that in real life in a political situation before in your life? Yeah? Have, do you, yeah has anybody, did anybody ever vote in a Democratic caucus in Washington State? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that was ranked choice voting. And actually, I was covering what ended up actually being my precinct before I lived in that precinct in 2008 in, at Roosevelt Elementary, basically the, the precinct right around where that is. Actually, I didn't even know that it was called ranked choice voting at the time until I was thinking about it for the processes of this. But like, you saw groups of people get in different corners of the room, and it was... You know, actually, Clinton had the majority in the after the first round, but Barack Obama was a little bit behind, and there was I don't even remember who all was in that election, but like John Edwards had a decent contingent, and the fascinating thing was almost exactly like what happened tonight. You sort of saw people's preference. It was like clear after the first round, and maybe this is something we should talk about too. It's like name recognition in politics is just so powerful. So in 2008, in the Democratic field. 
Hillary Clinton, biggest name, you know, everybody knew her, whether you loved her or you hated her. Like that's one of the biggest names in politics for 15 years at that point. But there were people who really liked this upstart Obama guy. Different from the way you would do it if you're just filling out a ballot, there is more jockeying and stuff and people can like, you know, people are like, hey, come, Obama's great, come over and you know, like that's how it works in a caucus. But it was really fascinating to see how once people, it was almost like a dam burst. And again, this is one precinct in one county in America. I'm just talking about my, as a reporter recovering that, the experience was like, it was almost like the crowd was like, oh, I have permission to not vote for the th person everybody thinks I should vote for. And that was powerful to me. And then, yeah, I mean, he, th once it was all said and done and it, it went to, or it, it must not have because he ended up with, you know, like 20% more than Clinton and he won that particular precinct. And it, it was just a really fascinating example of what we're talking about in action. So with that said, why don't we go to questions? Val's going to walk around. Valerie Osher. Uh, okay, so because... Q&As are a weirdly polarizing thing in the podcast world. I'm going to do my thank yous right now. And then there's another 30 minutes of what I think are pretty great comments if you guys want to stick around for it. Otherwise, if you're like, hey, I just gave you an hour of my life, Baumgarten, I need to tap out. This would be the time to do it. So let me thank the guests, Marilyn Derelick of the League of Women Voters, but not representing the League of Women Voters, Trenton Miller of Fair Vote Washington, and obviously the amazing Spokane Library staff, Shane Gronholtz, who you heard from at the beginning of the episode, and three other library staffers, Vanessa Strange, Jason Johnson, and Andy Rumsey made all that beautiful audio you heard happen. On the range side, Valerie Osier produced the event, and Connor Bacon did a beautiful job, as always, editing the interview. I will say that if you want to hear Carl Segerstrom, Range's reporter, man of many written words and few spoken words to this point, in his time with range he asked some pretty interesting questions further on so hang around for that if you're interested in hearing what he sounds like so look you really should stick around i just wanted to get those thank yous in before people tapped out for those of you who just really don't like podcast q a's but there are some really really good questions and some good comments starting right now thank you um i don't think you've made enough uh, emphasis on the fact that uh, ranked choice voting procedure is a lot more positive and that the candidates are going to say, vote for me because, as opposed to don't vote for him because he's awful. They're much more positive, and I think that our elections would be much more pleasant if it was uh, a positive vote instead of a negative vote. Thank you. I agree. Yeah, definitely. It's actually a really good introduction to my question, which is, do we have data as to if the campaign finance situation has improved in those places that have adopted ranked choice voting and it's more not insane? <laughs> I'm, I would have to dig a little bit as far as like specific data, but I do think one of the things that they see with finance is that it does become the money does become less impactful. And the main reason why is because so much of political ads is spent on attack ads. It's just the kind of low bar, uh, easy thing to do when you got a lot of money, find something uh, negative and throw it out there. It's a lot hard to put together messaging for positive messaging. And what you see per what Jennifer was talking about is that in ranked choice voting, positive issue-based campaigns 
are just more successful. They, they find more success. And so that money spent on broad, just attack ads is less uh, impactful. It strikes me that there's, whether or not we fix our the campaign finance system, it, we're seeing so much money pouring into our local races. Like the, the mayor's race last election, one person spent more in independent expenditures, donated more toward independent expenditures than the entire mayor's race, any candidate or independent expenditure in the previous race. So those were attack ads. Again, when we're in a top two system, it was... It was largely attack ads to get the chosen candidate elected. The only situation where you would want to run, spend that kind of money, right? Because it's all, it's all about like what's, what's the return on investment for these massive independent expenditure campaigns. Like if there was just one candidate who was so awful, you would want to run a bunch of attack, you know, from your point of view as whatever special interest you are. Other than that, you would really have to, you would be incentivized to either just spend less money because it's not going to work the way it used to for you, or you would want to spend the same amount of money, but in a more positive, you know, toward whatever candidate you're choosing, it seems like. I agree, and I think the whole money thing is one of the obscene parts of how we how we do <laughs> elections, whether it's local or national. I, it, to me, it's out of control, and, and if it were up to me, um, like I said, I would shorten the election cycles. We'd have ranked choice voting, and you know there would be a mandate that the public broadcast stations gave every candidate who was running for a particular office the same amount of time, and uh, you know a 90-day election cycle, and and be done with it. And I really think we'd get more people participating as voters, because I know a lot of people are just so it's nauseating, really, uh, how how long these election cycles go on, and the untruths told, and the obfuscating about what the real issues are, and. We've got a lot of important things we need to solve, and, and so we've got to work together. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of candidates and how they run for office is, you know, it's like we are all in this together, and we need to really run campaigns that, that emphasize problem solving and pulling together rather than being so divisive. So I think ranked choice voting is one of many parts of campaign reform and certainly the big money is a, is a huge part of that. You just spoke about uh, participation, and that was my question is more about the data. Do you find that in states where they are using ranked choice voting that there's more participation? I think sometimes people don't always take the time to get educated on an issue or a candidate or something, and so they just look at those letters behind the name. And so if we were to move to ranked choice voting are we going to, how much participation are we going to get and how educated um, are our voters going to be? Yeah, good point. I had a family member say, oh, I, I voted all down the line. And I was like, oh, but, but Julie Anderson support, supported ranked choice voting. You know, she, she you know, <laughs> but uh, you should have called me. <laughs> yeah. In, in terms of participation and, and maybe a, a kind of a turnout question of, of how, how much people turn out, it's hard to see in some of the data. I'm not sure that there are any like clear, there's always the problem of like correlation or causation about being able to directly map something to it. But the, the concept of, hey, we want more people to be able to encourage to run and people who maybe don't look like 
what is the accepted standard politician. When you get more people out knocking doors because there's three or four candidates competing in this race instead of just two, and you've got a much more engaged electorate who maybe see a candidate who better represents them, I think, I think you do and you will see more people willing to vote because they have more choices and maybe, you know, I think the 2016 election, we get a lot of this wave of reform is coming after that because people were generally pretty unsatisfied with both of their options. And a lot of people just said, I don't want to vote at all because I don't like either of these options. And so having other choices out there, I think, I think will lead to, to greater participation, better representation. First of all, I'm putting Marilyn as my first choice anytime there's a, an option. I'm also curious about like how long the local options bill has been um, like being run through the legislature. And I'm curious about like what challenges you've been facing with getting that passed, especially since I think we have a pretty progressive legislature. I'm interested about what the like establishment has to say about it. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, so I believe it was first introduced, I want to say 2017. Uh, yeah, and the first couple years, it mostly got stuck in the committees, just didn't get picked up. Mostly it's just treated as a low priority is the, the challenge. But the last two years, 2020, one, 2021 and 2022 legislative sessions, they passed all of the committees in the House, got to the House floor where the entire House gets to vote on it, and it died because they get to that last day because we have a very short legislative session and they've suddenly got 50 bills we gotta try and pass today, and the ranked choice voting local options bill is, is low on that priorities. Um, and you mentioned kind of our progressive legislature, which I think a lot of the challenge, and, and you mentioned maybe some of the opposition to ranked choice voting comes from party establishment. So we are a very democratic state, and not all of either party uh, like want to see changes to the election system that got them where they're currently at. Yeah, aside from partisanship, there's a power element to this too, and we don't see it a lot uh, on this side of the state, but on the West side, often those top two primary, that's both Democrats, right? So there's a power structure incentive to not push against that. And, and with that said, it, it's actually kind of awesome how at least, and, and again, this is just a local choice thing. So it's not, we wouldn't be mandating ranked choice voting. It would just be giving people the option, but it still made it farther than you might've expected in that thing. And the, the thing I just wanted to double down on that you said about the legislature is, I don't know how many people know this, but the state legislature does biennial budgets. So they pass a budget every two years. So every other year you have a much longer legislative session than you do on non-budget years. And so we did a really short session. It's like two months. 60 days, and we were still in the teeth of a pandemic in 2020. They were just going balls to the wall trying to get what they needed to get done. And then the previous session, it was, you know, that was all taken up with COVID, you know, mitigation stuff as well. So I just had a question about if ranked choice voting would help with, I think a lot of us were unhappy with the 2016 election in that 18 candidates dropped out. Would they not have dropped out if we did this ranked choice voting? 
Is that the, sorry, the 2020 primary? Where they had, or the 20, the 20. That's right, because the GOP had a lot of candidates in that, in that election, in their, going into their primaries. So yeah, it was 2016 for the GOP had a boatload of candidates, but then in 2020, it was the, the Democrats who had a full range. In our current system, there are powers that encourage people to drop out early and encourage people not to run at all because they are afraid of being spoilers. And I don't remember enough of the, the primary situation in 2016, but I know that in 2020, in the Democratic primary, you had candidates drop out and then immediately endorse someone, which says to me that they were afraid of stealing votes from that person and allowing someone else to rise. So with the ranked choice voting, they're not stealing votes anymore. They're just allowing the next choice to, to pass along. So I do think in most races under ranked choice voting, there's a lot less pressure to drop out, drop out early or not run at all because the spoiler effect is, is much less of a problem. And, and even that word spoiler um, seems negative to me because, um, you know, there, there is this concern about giving up power and control between the two parties. And, and uh, when you open it up to other than the two parties, people to run who have a chance of getting elected on the merits of their platform, that could be threatening to the, the balance of the system the way it, it's been. And so change is difficult for some to want to be open to. But I think for the electorate, for us, the people, the voters... I think it's a real positive um, shift. Howdy. Given the past decade of social media's influence on politics, especially like emotionally driven websites, let's just call it that, uh, do you think that if ranked choice was adopted, that it would be more susceptible to those emotionally driven campaigns, so to speak? I think it's hard to say. I think ranked choice voting is a step in the right direction. I, it's as Marilyn mentioned, we need a lot of things. And so I think by itself, it would only be minor improvements. But we talked a little bit earlier about the more positive nature of ranked choice voting. And I think social media thrives on negativity. And that's a lot of the stuff that really spreads very quickly. And I do think if you have election systems that don't reward negativity, as much, I think, I think you'll see some of that get tamped down a little bit too. That's my own uh, opinion on that. I don't know if that's proven. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot with, in terms of what we're all talking about here and, and the incentive of people to just get out of whatever the, again, the zero sum horse race hyper consultant class to death way elections get run, especially things for like Congress. Two examples are fascinating as like analogs to kind of what we're talking about here. So in the congressional district that we're a part of, Tom Foley was in office forever. And then in 93, Nethercutt beats him as part of the wave. And it's been all Republicans ever since. And that's led to a situation where the minority party, the Democrats, have under the, the incentives of the current system, 
kind of no matter what the candidate is, whether it's Dave Wilson, who was like effectively a, a Republican and an independent who kind of ran as a Democrat, but was really more of a, a, a Republican, uh, to Natasha Hill, who's one of the more progressive candidates that have run for that position, ran the same campaign, focused on the urban areas, the progressive areas, and just just bumping up voter turnout as hard as they can in literally three places, Spokane, Pullman, and Whitman County, and then Walla Walla and Walla Walla County. And again, Dave Wilson, basically a Republican, to Natasha Hill would probably, you know, identify as like a democratic socialist or, you know, adjacent to that. Everybody loses by about 20 points, give or take three or four points, like no matter what. The exception to that is Lisa Brown, who has the most name recognition of any democratic lawmaker in this area, probably since Tom Foley, I would say. And and she just had them. She had the machine behind her had a ton of money, ran basically the same strategic race, and still lost by 10 points, did twice as well as everybody else, but still wasn't particularly close to winning. Now compare that to the race that John Fetterman just ran in Pennsylvania, where they had an every county strategy. And the thing, and again, like they weren't doing that within a ranked choice scenario, but it's, it's a demonstration of the strategy that would be sort of elevated of like knocking on every door. You don't know. You can, you know, you might as well knock on that door. And it wasn't that all of a sudden Fetterman flipped a bunch of rural conservative counties in Western Pennsylvania, but he lost them by six or seven points less than everybody else had, which meant that then the turnout, which was what I think that's what sunk Clinton with Trump the first time was the turnout in those urban areas that Democrats have just relied on as like, that's the way we win is in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. When those people didn't turn out, Clinton was screwed. So it's just, it's evidence that like when you knock on these doors, you're going to win people. It doesn't mean you win the county, but that's not what, we don't have like an electoral system like that where it's like you win the county, you get all those votes. It's a person by person thing. I think that's a really fascinating illustration of how the incentives of ranked choice voting might might sort of disrupt the conventional wisdom of, of politics. Yeah, I'm not quite convinced that you've made the case that this is going to upset the duopoly that we have today. I just see more D's and R's on the ballot, and so I wonder if you can speak to that. It seems like merits aren't what drive most successful campaigns, but it's things like funding and support and resources. And how does this not just become a game of cracking and packing that becomes harder to understand to the average voter? There certainly is the possibility for these parties to run more candidates. Where it comes down to, and and money is always going to be very important, is candidates are able to break away from their party and and make take stances that don't completely align with their party. And and the best example I think I can give of this is Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, who is was primaried multiple times and and almost lost in 2010 and won in a ride-in and primaried again. And she's in a really good place to win her election this year because of ranked choice voting. So um, I wish I had the numbers up right now, but it's uh, this more conservative Republican with 44%, Lisa Murkowski with 42 and then the Democrat with 9%. And assuming most of the Democrats' second choice go to Lisa, which is not a guaranteed, but a, a good chance, that could be enough to put her over. And so Lisa Murkowski may not then say, okay, I'm going to leave the Republican Party and, and found a new one, but she could. 
she, she has that power and that name recognition to say, I'm not going to vote with the Republicans 100% of the time. And states that have leaned towards ranked choice voting, Maine, the first statewide to adopt it, Maine has an independent senator who is not a Democrat or a Republican. And that is part of the reason why Maine decided to choose ranked choice voting, because they have a lot of independent candidates. And they were burned multiple times by governor races where this third party candidate was getting 30, 40% of the vote and someone was winning, an unpopular governor was winning with 40, 42% of the vote. So it, it, it's definitely not gonna immediately lead to suddenly the Green Party and the Libertarian Party is hyper-competitive, but it creates a lot more room for people to kind of straddle that line and break from their party without being heavily punished for it. Yeah, I think, I think the short answer is you're totally right. Like, we don't know yet. But what we know, based on those examples, is like, the only thing that's going to break the money hold is people, right? It's like people or money. It's like, what, how is sort of power distributed? In my lifetime, what was it? Like, Ross Perot, you know, came close, didn't actually win a state because it's an electoral system. But like, what would it, what would it look like if we had a Ross Perot every cycle, you know, and maybe the, the conversation starts to change. Maybe there are some viable, you know, like in New York, the Working Families Party is like a legitimate third party. They're doing a lot. And actually now they've been so successful in New York and Connecticut, they actually did a bunch of work in Oregon this cycle and got somebody elected on the, on the strength of that name. So, you know, and maybe something like DSA or something like the Libertarian Party where you're not you aren't necessarily have the, the sort of place of privilege that the two parties have, but you maybe have name recognition such that, you know, when you're endorsing people or you're campaigning for them, you can start building a constituency that over time can actually show results. I mean, the Working Families Party has been working in, in New York for at least 30 or 40 years, and they're getting to a point where they're a significant force in, in, in at least on the progressive side of the ball in politics over there. And and it feels like that's, you're right, like we don't know yet, but I don't know anything else that would break the duopoly, I guess. Yeah, and just a follow-up question on that. How much of those early success stories of independence or non-typical candidates you know, actually winning through ranked choice voting is because of campaign strategy not evolving yet to really target ranked choice voting? And are there any concerns out there of how that would unfold in the future? We've already seen a lot of craziness around you know, the, the Democrats propping up weak Republicans and things like that. How does that just not become a more complex way of approaching the problem? And you know, like, are you trying to gerrymander every constituency at that point to try and make sure that the second, third, fourth all align on getting your candidate elected? Yeah, I mean, in terms of trying to strategize the ballot, we have to do a lot of strategic voting now. Um, if you cast a vote in the county prosecutor's primary, uh, you maybe thought a little bit strategically about, about how you wanted to vote in that race because only two of them were going to, to end up making out all the top of that race. So with the ranked choice, you could, you could kind of just vote with your heart and see how the chips lay at that point. And so our current system is, is so fluffed with strategy of, of, of some of that anyways that I don't know that it's all going to go away with ranked choice voting, but I do think the ability to just say, my heart feels this is my first choice, second choice, third, feels better than 
I only have one vote that I can, I have to pick one of these ones, and, and there's a lot of strategic thinking of how do I think these are gonna end up in the primary. Well, and, and certainly winner take all. I mean, how, how obscene is that, right? Where, you know, when the electoral votes are, are given all to one winner when it could have been a very, you know, very evenly split vote. So, you know, those are the mechanisms that are really destructive, I think, to our representative democracy because a lot of people feel cut out and unrepresented with some of those mechanisms that are currently used in our systems. So ranked choice voting to me just seems like one of those steps in the right direction. I mostly had some comments. Uh, first of all, I just want to say Nevada, although they did pass ranked choice voting, they have to pass it again in 2020, whatever, um, because for propositions, they have to pass them twice. So just a little water on the happiness. Also, I think that even year elections are pr maybe even a more important reform. And so we should be thinking about that. And uh, the last gentleman's concern, I think that multi-member districts primarily would solve that problem, although it doesn't solve it f for executive positions, it would for like legislative positions. I also wonder if Vicki Dalton has ever expressed support for ranked choice voting. I know she said that it's possible, but I'm wondering if she's expressed support for it. And then I also wonder about the mechanics, if we just didn't have a local options bill, but we passed a bill like Seattle just did, what would our ballot look like? Like, would we have a ballot that looked different for different races? Like, would it look different as you went down your ballot? Or, yeah, that's a question I wonder about. Yeah, uh, do you, I'm thinking about where to start with that one. One, uh, multi-member districts is a great uh, improvement in kind of the long-term hope for ranked choice voting. Can you explain what multi-member districts would look like? Yeah, without going too much into it. So the currently, and, and Marilyn talked a little bit about this right now, if you get 51% of the vote, you get 100% of the power, right? Like, you, you get 49% of the vote, you get nothing. And that is really a huge part of our current system. And so the, the long-term hope of ranked choice voting is you use it to have a district, let's say the county, Spokane County now has five seats. And what we would do is rather than having districts, we would have, okay, 10, 12 people run in that district. You rank your options. And whoever is the top five remaining, they get to be the, the representatives for that county. And so if you're a county that has maybe 60% Republicans and 40% Democrats, in our current system, you're going to have five Republicans and zero. But under that system, you would have three Republicans and two Democrats. And it is much more representative of the people who live there. If you have 40% of the vote, you get 40% of the representation. This is like way off on the horizon, but that actually could be a reason to end gerrymandering of a sort because you wouldn't be creating these districts that we just went through the elaborate process of doing. It would just be like, cool, there's five county commissioners. You're going to pick your top five people and then whoever the top five are. So that really 
in theory would actually maybe solve the gerrymandering issue, at least at a, you know, in a, a constituency by constituency basis. And very exciting, Portland, Oregon just voted to adopt that exact system this year. So that is huge. That's going to be something we're going to point to a lot as going forward, because um, that's really exciting. I remembered your other question, which was Vicki Dalton's stance on ranked choice voting. Um, I would describe her as lukewarm for the most part. Um, she has never been all out opposed for it. She's never really taken a, yes, I support this. It's usually been, if the people want it, we can make it work. And, and that's generally been her stance most of the time on, on moving towards ranked choice voting. And then the ballots, real quick, that is really just a logistical question. I think Vicki would probably be the best person to answer exactly what the ballots would look like. Something maybe like that, <laughs> at least for uh, a single race. We got time for maybe a couple more. Was there one hand? Um, there's not a lot of information on or data on ranked choice voting in the United States because it's only been adopted in a few places so far. Are there other countries or d democracies that have ranked choice voting and how's, like, what's the data show there? Excellent question. Do you ask questions for a living by chance? So Australia's always done their elections by ranked choice voting, so. Since they became a democracy. Since they became a democracy, yes. The penal colonies, we won't go. We won't cover that. I actually don't know what was happening. Ireland uses ranked choice voting. I believe New Zealand uses a multi-member ranked choice voting or some, some, some form of multi-member proportional system. Those are kind of the big three. Oh, I was just going to restate the question. He was saying, were there any insights from those places that have had it longer than places in, in America? Well, one of the things I love that Australia does is you, ha you have to vote. <laughs> so I think there's an idea there, too, you know? Some of it depends upon your own political stance about, uh, you know, if you're a conservative person and New Zealand is a generally, I think, a more progressive uh, country, then, then maybe, maybe it doesn't show out well. I will say Australia only uses single winner ranked choice voting, and so they have a little bit of benefits, but they have not looked into the more multi-member approach, which I think is where you get a, a lot more of it kind of growing onto it. So it's hard to say Alaska, or Australia does have primarily two parties that compete, but they do have representation from, from third party. It's just not like a, it's not an even split, um, at least in Australia. I'm curious what this could look like uh, or what the result could be for the Electoral College. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, moving to ranked choice voting in presidential elections would be a big change, um, and I'm not sure if the uh, infrastructure we have will ever get us there, but you could do it in a state-by-state -state basis. Each state has a ranked choice voting election for a winner, and whoever gets the most votes gets the entire electoral votes for that. And so you could see a situation where they, you cast ballots, you have more people running. The one situation where it could get sticky is, okay, you have a third, a, a strong third-party candidate, who maybe picks up Maine and Alaska and Florida, and now no president has the, the minimum, I think it's 270 that you need to win the Electoral College. So they would have to come up with some. <laughs> I don't know what 
that process would be. I think I think presidential is is a long way out. And well, and I think it's been mentioned a couple of different times here tonight. This is you know, ranked choice voting is one reform that is like part of a constellation of possible reforms that would together. You know, I think we could get. I mean, um, Maryland doesn't want to touch this. But like, if we got rid of the electoral college and still did voting the way we did, like that would be that would be better to me too. So it's like you could do both, right? And just make it a proportional vote at a state by state level. But again, that's like so far down the horizon, you know, <clears throat> maybe in our lifetimes. One question I did have, because the whole gerrymandering thing is just like intuitively obvious to me as somebody who's lived in Spokane County and, and paid attention to our county commission race up until now. And the, the reforms we have, you know, whether you're not from a partisan valence, but it's a, at least getting a closer to the a proportionality that's Logan was sending me these numbers. You know, the county's roughly a, a plus 10 re- to plus five Republican lean. So when we had three county commissioners, you would imagine that it was, you know, should be one Democrat and two Republicans, or maybe occasionally you could get two Democrats, but that was had not been the case in 10 years. We're closer to proportion, those proportions with the new system, but it creates these districts that are also politically drawn and create a lot of contentiousness. And so the multi-winner thing at the county level just seems more self-evidently, like that would just get us closer to where we want to go if what we're really looking for is a proportional representation that reflects the communities we live in. The flip side of that is like, do y'all have a sense of how wide that goes, right? So I'm thinking about if we just went like um, multi-representation, proportional, countrywide with like the Senate, you know, then would we expect to see, you know, nobody from Vermont ever becoming a senator or nobody from Wyoming? Or, like, Are there limits to how much we can sort of break, you know, gerrymandering and things like that with multi-choice? Are, there still gonna, are we still going to have to sort of create con- certain constituencies that are that are organized around some sort of whether it's an urban agglomeration or a state or, or something like that i think we need to solve that problem on another evening <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll just play real quick when you go home to to do a little searching of the fair representation act which is a bill in Congress that gets reintroduced every year and is not picked up by anybody, but it's, it's reintroduced by its supporters because it is a House of Representatives multi-member proportional bill. And it proposes that you take these districts and kind of merge some of them together and make them multi-member districts, and, and you elect them that way. And the New York Times has a great political map of what that would look like. And oh man, the amount more of like competitiveness and these much more, you know, instead of dark red, dark blue, and then the occasional purple, it's a lot of purple and light blue and light red where there's a lot more variety of, of people who could, who could kind of weigh in in a situation like that. So it would be like that plus ranked choice voting or is that tied up in that act as well? The, the proposal is to use ranked choice voting to adopt those. Part of the reason it doesn't get picked up because states decide how those uh, elections are done, but I think it's generally, this is how we think it should be done and providing federal support to, to move some, a system like that. All right, well, now in true range fashion, we're actually seven minutes over, but do we have any other questions? Yeah, one last? I, I'm sorry, I had one more. Where do we go from here? How do, you know, if this is something that we're interested in doing, how do we help move it forward? 
sign up on those sheets. We have two sheets at the two tables, so you can sign up, and um, we would love to get you enlisted in doing what we need to do to get this moved forward. Thanks for your interest. And I would say support the local options bill and the presidential primaries bill in the state legislature. Call up Senator Billig, Marcus Ricelli, Tim Ormsby, and say, hey, can you support these bills? If you're in the 6th district, call them up. 4th district, let them know. Um, and we're, I think, really just trying to, that's the big focus right now is the, the upcoming legislative session. And, and the legislature meets in, in January, so this is a good time to start doing this because they're actually working on their legislative priorities right now. Last one, and then maybe Logan. I mean, that's that's the question you want to go out on, right? So, like, cut cut tape. No, no, Ryan, you can, go ahead. All right. So, I'm not sure what our politics are, as you know, all the people in this room. I know the coverage at Range speaks to people of all backgrounds, across all party lines. Uh, but I've been thinking a little bit about uh, holiday dinners next week and talking with conservative family members and thinking like, what's the story that I tell them about ranked choice voting? And the the pie example that we kind of did together was awesome for that. And I could imagine a, a scenario to offer them where Trump and DeSantis are both running against a you know Democratic candidate that like my nightmare, but for them a you know pretty visceral uh, example of how their voice, you know, they could they could imagine their voice being heard better by ranked choice voting. So it seems like when you're talking like person to person, it's really obvious um, you can make the case like this is just a much better way to do things. Um, so what I'm curious about, and it kind of goes along with this question, where do we go from here? Is like what what are the are there arguments being made against ranked choice voting? Like what are the campaigns against it look like? Or, or are we just in a position where we need to help people get more comfortable with change because this just feels different and it's kind of weird? I would say the biggest barrier to ranked choice voting is knowledge. A lot of people just don't know what it is or don't understand it. So that's step one. There are opposition statements people make. A lot of it comes from party people who are really uh, supportive of the two-party system. There are some claims made that it's confusing for voters is, is a lot offered. I find that a little insulting to voter, voters to think that you can't rank your options. We all were able to rank our pies without too much issues. But that is said by a, by a lot of uh, politicians. There's a little bit of, of that, but I think the biggest barrier is lack of recognition, name recognition. Yep, and most of us really operate this way anyway, whether it's the grocery store or what movie we want to go see or <laughs> which campground we're going to pick. Organizations use ranked choice voting a lot in determining their course of direction. So, you know, I... I just think it's a matter of, of educating people about what it's about, demonstrating how it works, you know, just keep, um, keep plugging away, and that takes people. So we'd love to have you sign up to help in the effort. Y'all drove it home, but I think that your, your exercise really illustrated the main talking point against this I hear from the left is that this is confusing, particularly that low education voters can't figure this out, but that's ridiculous. Everybody knows how to rank things in order of what they want most and what they want least. And y'all y'all illustrated that really effectively with the pie thing. And so I really think that simple lessons like that could teach people like, oh, yeah, I've been ranking things since I was in kindergarten and I can do it with my politicians. So that's a good way to end it. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, thanks again to the library for hosting. Thanks to Marilyn and Trenton. Uh,
And yeah, sign up in the back. I think the way we've done the signups is you can kind of pick which things you want to get correspondence from and we'll get you on people's lists, including Range. If you want to sign up for Range, rangemedia.co. And yeah, this, this episode will be live at some point in the future. The future is now. Have a good week, everyone.